Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed. Good morning. Good morning. The war for our souls continues, but we do have victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this rainy, beautiful, lovely day, that you are a good God, that you are the Lord, that you are God that's in control of all things. And in that we can rest because you are good and you are for us, Lord God, and that you will never leave us or forsake us. And in these great promises, we trust even as we wait for you and wait for the restoration of all things. Even as creation is groaning, some days we groan too, waiting for your return. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you looked down from heaven and saw that we needed to be rescued. And so you sent Jesus Christ, your son, to deliver us from the treachery, the bondages of sin, the demands of Satan, rescued us out of this evil world and translated us into the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you for giving us power over all the power of the enemy. We thank you that we do understand, according to your word, that there is a massive war going on, uh, that you are at war with the enemy, and that you are defending us, and you've given us power even to work with you to bring the kingdom of God to this earth, not, Lord, as a dominionist, but as the promises of life, hope, peace, salvation, Redemption do bring the kingdom of God into the hearts and souls of men. We thank you. We thank you also for the promise and the protection that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the evil one will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, and reproach. We are deliberate, Lord, and strategic in the things that we pray, the things we do, the things we request, because this is a strategic and deliberate war. We're not here to just helter-skelter, hang out. We're here to do your will, Lord God. And so I pray that you give us now eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand and comprehend the great vastness of this war. And the questions we're asking about you today, Lord God, that you give us through your Holy Spirit understanding because it is you who who is the faithful witness. Your word is the truth that sets us free. Amen. Hey. Amen. How's it going over there on your side of the world? Oh, well, the the war (laughs) rages. You know, a lot of people... Uh, don't like the idea of war. They just think, oh, we just want to have peace and comfort and everything like that. Well, uh, um, sorry, but it's not like that. Well, you know, but I... there's but there is peace and comfort in Jesus' name in the midst mm-hmm. of the, the war, and we just have to recognize that God has called His people to be soldiers in this war, and uh, yeah. so this is this is the way it is. Well, you know, <laughs> like you just said, the, the peace of God that goes beyond understanding. He says in Isaiah, he says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. And I think there's two fronts to the war. One is an internal front and the one is an external front. And the internal front is the, you know, a lot of times people try to control their world like, and then they, they try to control other people and make them do what they want them to do. And they get real frustrated and anxious and upset and angry because they can't make people do what they want them to do. So really we need to, we need to, take the focus off of making that our focus and turn to in the inside and say, I, I, what keeps me at peace? What gives me peace and confidence and hope and thanksgiving 
what keeps me from getting depressed or exhausted or afraid. And it is knowing that Jesus Christ rules and reigns not only inside of me, but also out there, even where it looks like it's all crazy and falling apart. Right. Well, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. So the rule of Jesus Christ right now is in the hearts of people. Uh, Kingdom of God, Paul said, is not food and drink, but it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right. And we can have that in our, you know in our lives, mm-hmm. and but someday knowing the promises of God that someday Jesus will rule and reign, that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Satan's dominion will absolutely be crushed, mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. And I think I can hear an amen out there. Amen. <laughs> and uh, but see, these are, this is this is like Abraham's deal. This is faith in the promises. God gave Abraham some phenomenal promises. Um, you know, he'd be the heir. Uh, he'd have many heirs, a father of many uh, nations, and inherit all this land. And, of course, Abraham lived not to see any of it, hardly. But it's truly still unfolding. And the same with us. He says, now, do you believe me that, you know, I'm, you're going to rule and reign with me in heaven forever, and it's all going to be wonderful, no more tears, blah, blah, blah. That's all out there somewhere, and we believe it, uh, but that's not how I live my everyday life. I can't live my everyday life hoping for something that, that's going to happen maybe, I don't know, uh, 100 years from now. Or maybe, you know, if you're old, maybe it's going to happen five years from now for you. But it, it's like I need to know today who God is right, right, and right. what I'm supposed to be not doing. Not just in the sweet by and by, but in the nasty... Here and now. Here and now. <laughs> <laughs> so... We we want to speak today about God, the concept of God. Now, God is incomprehensible. There's no way that we can understand. It's like a tiny minnow being able to describe in detail the entire uh, the oceans of the world. Right. And that's kind of where we are. But at the same time, God is... Ah, but the minnow has an iPad. And he's been able to connect uh, with the world out there. So he's, he's on the internet. He's on the internet, so he knows. Yeah. That's yeah. What, the internet is kind of God's word to us. He gave us a little glimpse of his well, word, he does. his character. He, he has given us. The past. He has disclosed himself in many ways that it's important that we have an accurate concept of who he is. Even though we can't fully comprehend all he is, he has revealed his, his character, his heart to, to us. us. Through, through the scriptures. And, and it's so vital that we have a correct a, a concept of God. Well, not only through his scriptures, but through his actions. Yes. Not only through what he says, but through what he does. Because people, you know, talk is cheap sometimes, and you can talk, 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 but if you follow through, that's good. So our first question, and we've got a few questions about God, which I'm sure we're not going to get to all of them today. So um, the first one I would like to pose is, is, uh, is God good? Or is God good all the time? Or not? Or God is not good all the time? Or if God is so good, then why are all these bad things continuing to happen? If God has got so much power and God is so good, then why does he let it happen? And I think we really deep down do know that God is not the only one operating in this world. And this is not heaven. If this were heaven and we'd be in God's heaven, then things would be totally different. Then God's will would be done and God would have his way and it would be sweet and peaceful and and equitable and kind and forgiving and gracious. And, and that is not this world because as much as we don't want to admit it, there is another kingdom that um, also claims earth as its own and its territory. 
uh, a king who did not create this world but stole it from God and, um, and stole the people and wrecked the garden and turned it into a concrete jungle. That's the war. That's the problem that God is. is. But let's look for a minute at who God is and if we can find out who he is and what he says about himself and see if he follows through. Well, let me, maybe we can know who God is. Right. Good. Let me just lay a little bit of a, a foundation for, for these um, subjects we're talking about today. Um, you know, there's a guy named A.W. Tozer that wrote a wonderful book back in 1961. Can you believe that the people actually knew something about God in 1961? Probably more than we do. Oh, yeah. But anyway, he wrote a book that I would highly recommend to anybody. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy, The Attributes of God, Their Meaning in the Christian Life. And so he, he... and this is just foundational to these other ones. And here's, here's I'll just quote a few things of what he says here. Um, the, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge. And her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. And he, he goes on to say that it is impossible to keep our moral practices sound, attitudes right, while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. And, and just, just a couple more things here, Marge. Um, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he says that the, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Mm-hmm. And he basically what he's saying here is that there are uh, our, our concept of God, he says uh, that our idea of God correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter what our, our creeds are in, in our churches and so forth. But what is it day to day? What do we conceive God to be like? Well, I believe that's correct. And I think the, the absolute identity of man is based on our personal concept of who God is. But how do we form that concept of God? Because most people don't have the Bible or read the Bible or consider the Bible relevant or valid because it is an old book and they have believed many lies that the devil's told them about the worthlessness of the book. But... <clears throat> We form a concept of God basically by our expectations. We think that this God, you know, we, we look at our own leaders and we compare him to that. Well, you know, God is not a political figure. He's not someone that we can vote in or vote out of office. He's not one who will take a bribe or he's not one who can be moved off of his throne. And so we are frustrated because we can't seem to control God. We like to, we want a God that we can define and control and manipulate and God will not be manipulated or uh, controlled by us. Mm-hmm. And, and so therefore our experiences, our expectations and our experiences of what we think God should do 
or who he is becomes the definer for us. And I think, um, of course, it's a very egocentric idea of who God is and very inadequate in helping us to comprehend the huge vastness of this world. Let me just read a little bit out of Isaiah, um, if I can find it here. Isaiah forty twelve. he says, um, let's see. Behold, the Lord God has come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his works before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This doesn't sound like a naughty God or a mean God or an adverse God. He says, um, but with a strong hand, he will rule. And there are people he needs to deal with with that strong hand who are attacking his flock, who are keeping it diff- his sheep hurting and hungry. It says, now listen to verse 12, 40 verse 12 of Isaiah. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Who's, who, this is God. Who weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. You think the mountains are big, the hills are big, the ocean is big. God puts it in the palm of his hand. This is the vastness, the bigness of God. Um, yeah, back back to the idea here, too. Uh, here's what, one of the things that A.W. Tozer says. Let us beware lest we in our pride accept the erroneous notion that idolatry consists only in kneeling before visible objects of adoration and that civilized peoples are therefore free from it. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. Right. An idol is anything that comes between you and God. It can be worry. You can be, um, you know, you, you see, that's how the enemy works. The, the God, our God is at war with an enemy who is a liar, who's trying to deceive distort, contort, separate us from God and make us feel um, that we're on our own, isolated and abandoned. So then the devil can bring his solutions to us and we take them because in those lies that we believe, the, the solutions we take from the devil, we believe that we have some semblance of control and that we have some say so in the matter. And we think that God doesn't hear our prayers, doesn't answer our prayers and God is not good. But we, if we looked back into the word, we see the greatness of God does not prohibit him from being also good and gentle and kind. And that is that should be comforting to you and I as we submit to him. We know that he holds the oceans in the very palm of his hand, the dust he calculates, he weighs the mountains on a scale, um, you know, the heavens in a span, you know, you, from your thumb to your first finger. That's, that's what God does. He's big, but he's also small enough or caring enough to dwell within us and to be concerned about what's going on with us. Um, mm-hmm. So therefore, God is good. God is with us. Well, th- that's the thing, too. It's a lot of times people believe that maybe because uh, God allows all this evil mm-hmm. in the world or uh, one time we prayed for somebody that that was sick and that they, they would be healed and they die, and we figure, well, God's good, forget him. God's not good. Mm-hmm. Forget him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. And so that's one of the fundamental characteristics of God is that he is good. And, and basically what good means there is that he is bra- gracious, mm-hmm. um, bountiful, he's generous, he's kind. We read, and Jesus said that God is kind even to the unthankful. 
and, and to the evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sends the rain on mm-hmm. the just and on the unjust. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a very giving, benevolent, kind God. Now, sometimes we get we see that juxtaposed with the fact that he that he brings judgment and punishment upon sin and and evildoers. But um, the, yeah, still, the, still, the fact is, even though God doesn't, he isn't like good sometimes and then evil other times. Right, and he doesn't set himself he, up in opposition to himself yeah, either, right. where he contradicts himself. He's, he's not schizophrenic. Right. For example, yeah, you know, going back to one simple example in the New Testament, where Jesus was put in position by the Pharisees when they brought the woman taken in adultery in um, John chapter 8, Um they were testing God to see if God, you know, God was the one who had given the law. God had given them the law that adulteresses should be stoned. And so when they confronted Jesus, well, what are you going to do now, Jesus? Because you're the, you're the one, supposedly it was your father who gave the law that she should be stoned. Now, what are you going to do? And so they were putting him in a position to see if God would contradict himself. If he were God, he would have to go along with the law and see her stoned. But Jesus as in the wisdom that only he has, was able to look deeper and say, okay, um, that's the law, but are you the lawgiver? Are you, do you have the right to, uh, if you're without sin, if you've never done anything wrong, then you go ahead and cast the first stone because that's kind of what, where it was really going to. Their, their motives for doing this were not right. He exposed them by the fact that he exposed their sin and their, those very clever you know, he was without sin among you, cast the first stone. And and then in that point as well, we see another thing about God, that God is able to separate out being from behavior. And um, the law was not given to save us. The law uh, really only brings, uh, magnifies sin in some ways because it gives sin the strength, the sting of death. So so we understand that God does not contradict himself. However, I think we need to put this in, a, in more understandable terms. Let me read one thing, and then I want to give you an example um, it says in Isaiah chapter 40, it says in um, 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the weak, and that's what he did with this woman. He, he, they didn't understand, they didn't have any idea how he was going to get out of this one. Uh, he knew exactly how to get out of it. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. He says... Um, even the young men and the, are going to grow weary and faint, uh, but the Lord, but those that wait on the Lord renew their strength. They get stronger and stronger. They do not grow weary. They do not faint. And this is basically the 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 uh, understanding and the experience of those who truly wait upon God and don't become hasty and take matters into their own hands. But just consider this as an example that you know God is good. Yes. But God also has rebellious children. Have you, have you ever had rebellious children as a parent? And what do you do? Do you look good all the time when your children are mad at you, when they're rebelling, when they're trying to um, come up against you? Um, when you when you correct the child many times, it's like we're we're not perceived as being good. Very nice. We're, yeah. We're, exactly. we're we're killjoys. We're spoiling their fun mm-hmm. or. We're being mean. And here's another or question. Or we're yelling at them. Yeah, right. <laughs> or we're not letting them have any fun or whatever. And they can respond very negatively and, and very um, uh, with a lot of rebellion and anger and destruction. destruction. But, but the point is, can a parent 
be good and still have rebellious children? Children, Well, answer it for yourself. Can you be a good parent and still have rebellious children? Absolutely, yes. But does having a rebellious child um, that is influenced by other people or situations, the things that draw them away, uh, things that um, undermine things that uh, are out of your po- possible control, influences of friends, etc., uh, that goes against your endorsement, does that make you bad because your children are under bad influences? No. Do you try to fix them and their mistakes? Yes, up to a point. But the point is, you would say, well, the only way I can explain this is that there's bad people in the world. There's, there's bad people in the world, and they're messing with my daughter, my son, trying to get them to, to do, influence them to do bad things. And that is absolutely right. Well, why don't we put our good God, our Heavenly Father, in the same context of war? that there are bad forces out there that are demonic, diabolical, uh, just absolutely focused on one thing, and that is the annihilation of God's children and his kingdom. I mean, why why do we have to make this so difficult? Why? I'm always curious as to why we make so many excuses for the devil. People say to me, oh, you talk about the devil too much. Well, I'm just curious why we make so many excuses and don't want to talk about him. What's the deal? Does that protect you from him somehow? If if I don't if I if I know there are snipers out there but I don't want to talk about it and I don't want to you know yeah. deal with it does that make me more protected from the sniper who's hiding out there Absolutely. in the parking lot Absolutely. waiting to shoot Not me when it. I come out of my my door? It's just recognizing the truth of what's going on. It doesn't. It I'm not. We don't focus on or or uh, honor a uh, worship uh, whatever the words might be give um, homage somehow to the devil by talking about him. We're just simply, you know, if, the, if our military would go to war and they'd never study, study the enemy, they wouldn't acknowledge there is an enemy. They wouldn't pay attention to what objectives need to be protected. Uh, what, what would we have here? Yeah, we, We'd have a waste of time. Yeah, absolutely. We'd have nothing and that they, works. And they would be destroyed because they have no clue about what's going on. In Isaiah 30, verse 9, he says, um, uh, th- this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord who say to the seers, do not see, or that's the prophets, who say to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. They, did, they came to a point of hardness where they did not want to hear about God, they did not want to see or know or understand his word or his direction for them. And they really, said, don't tell us, don't talk to us about God anymore. Right. He says, get, get God out of our faces. And, and in a sense, that's what's happening. That's the spirit of what's been overtaking America these days. We get God as we, as we know him to be from the scriptures, um, get God out of our faces. We, we, we don't, we want don't want him. him. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a prevailing spirit right now. Uh, in, in, in our nation. But where did that spirit come from? If we're made in the image of God and your children are basically made in your image, you've instructed them, taught them, um, raised them up, fed them, clothed them, took care of them, and now they're choosing to go contrary to you, where did that spirit of rebellion come from? Where did that hostility come from? Where did that disobedience come from? Where in God's, uh, his li- where did these lies come from that his children began to believe? Who, who did Jesus well, say the liar was? There's a liar. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He has been lying. He, he, he sinned from the beginning. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of time, he had sinned. He rebelled. He was kicked out of heaven, came down to God's earth, and, and could not dethrone God. Mm-hmm. So he says, How, what I will do 
is I will dethrone God in the hearts of his creation, his highest creation. That would be you and I, starting well, starting there with Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, even, right, and, and even as we look at this with some sort of a logical, sensible mind, we have to see some force out there that's trying to pull us away from God. I mean, it just makes sense. Otherwise, there's no sense of it at all. If God is, is both the author of evil and the author of good in the conflict, then we're, we're caught in a war where God is, is both the good and the evil. Then we have a crazy God. We have a God that's insane. We have a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, don't know where I am. What, how, there's no security. There's no stability. There's no hope and peace in that kind of a situation. Here's, here's something. That he has to be good. Right. Or people think, you know, the problem of evil, here's how uh, some people respond to this, okay, to this evil. Why is there evil in the world if there's a God? Why isn't he doing something about it? Many assume that the existence of evil mm-hmm. disproves the existence of God. So sometimes people, you know, question, and they will talk to Christians this way, okay? Yeah, well, I have a question for you. You know, if there were no God and there was only evil, then how would you like that? What would our world be like if that's all we had was just the, like the slave taskmasters of of Egypt beating on us every day, scourging us every day with no hope, no remedy, no ally, no refuge, no um, hope for justice. You know, God says here in Isaiah, he says, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. You know, here, here's a question that sometimes, here's kind of the gist of a question that's, that's sometimes thrown to, to Christians by people who are, say, skeptical or challenging. Or maybe it's just, maybe, it may be just a smokescreen, too. But it's like if God is good, then he must not be powerful enough to deal with all the evil and injustice in the world since it is still going on. If he is powerful enough to stop wrongdoing, then he himself must be an evil God since he's not doing anything about it, even though he has the capability. Again, we go back. So, so the... which is it? Is, <laughs> is he a bad God or a God that's not all powerful? Well, we have to go back to the example of parents. Are you a bad parent because you're not doing something that's, to stop your child from doing something bad. You know, God has given us a free will. It's, it goes like this. God has, there's, there's the, God has a perfect will. And his perfect will was accomplished in, um, when he set up the world. Everything he made was good. Uh, the Garden of Eden, there was peace. There was joy. There was no fighting. They didn't even eat meat. It was, there was no bloodshed. It was very kind, very good, very, very good, pleasant, wonderful life. And that was his perfect will. And then... He gave man a free will, which means we have a choice to choose to reject or accept him, which is required if he's going to be a God of love because you cannot force someone to love you. So they have to have a free will to reject you. If, right. if, um, and the God, third, did, God did not make uh, ro- robots. Right, exactly. And, and then the third thing is because we have a free will, God has to use oftentimes he operates out of his permissive will. He has to permit things like Jesus said to John the Baptist. John was baptizing Jesus and John said, this is backwards. And Jesus says, well, permit it for now. Let it be so for now. And, and um, when he was going to the cross, he said one, to one of the, I think it was the disciples, permit even this or permit this for now. It's like we have this, this is part of God's overall 
planned for, you know, the, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, it had to happen. It was, part, it was a part of God's permissive will because of man's free will. It wasn't his perfect will who wants to kill your son or let your son die or die, let you Both of them were dying in this po- at this point, you know, giving up their lives for the rescue of the lost. And so, but again, just because your child is being rebellious and you're permitting, you're having to permit some things you don't like, they're not your perfect will. It just it just tells me more than ever that there's another force out there. Right. And another thing, too, it shows that there is not understanding. It's like, you know, um, why is um, a child to think, why is my mom correcting? Why did I get that little spanking? I don't know if anybody does that anymore. It's always timeouts these days. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's another subject. Or take away the iPod. Right. Or take away the iPod or, or whatever. The phone. iPad, whatever. The phone. Um, but what the perception is of the child is the parent is mean. They're cr- they're cramping my style. They're taking away my freedom. And 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 they don't. Uh, the child does not have the understanding that a good parent wants what is best for the child. They don't see it as it best. Why can't I eat candy all the time? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to eat my vegetables? It's like uh, because the parent knows that the, they want the child to be healthy, and if they eat. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, Reese's well, the, peanut butter cups all day. They're they're not going to well, do well. The parent knows what what eating candy all day long is going to do by experience. But but it's interesting. Um, God's children they rebel, they lie, they refuse to listen. Um, they don't want to know the truth. Um, they like to tell and they like to hear lies, and they want God to go away. But the interesting thing is. That if there, if we're made in God's image, again, we have to go back to, and God imparted the revelation of his truth to us and caused our spirits to be able to recognize or resonate with that truth, then what in the world is going on that causes them to be so easily influenced by the negative, by the lie, by, the, by, by rebellion? And the only thing you can come up with is what Paul was suggesting very strongly, if not include, indeed telling us, that they are, we are under the power, under the influence, the power of the sway of the evil one, the power of sin, and actually need to be delivered. Um, right. uh, you know, uh, how else can we do uh, what we do and be so convinced unless we're deceived? So we're under the power of the sin, and we need deliverance. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is almost like a a download, a, a, a system, a software created, crafted in hell to download it into our soul that causes us to uh, choose the wrong, choose the lie, uh, believe the lie, uh, be bound by the lie. So coming to God, a lot of times we think we, we come to Jesus Christ so we can be forgiven. Well, yeah, thank God. We, you know, we have redemption through his blood, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, but we need much more, as you're suggesting, Marjorie, that we need more than forgiveness. We need deliverance. We need to be set free. So I get forgiven for 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 doing something bad, but then okay, I get forgiven. Then I go and do the same thing. It's over and over and well, over that's again. Because, okay, so it's, it's, it's a bondage. So I need to be set free from that principle, that power right, of sin right. within me, mm-hmm. and, and and let God, as it talks about in Romans chapter eight that new principle of life, well, here's the Spirit the deal. of God that is working in and through me. Well, that's right. See, forgiveness is one thing, but forgiveness without understanding, 
without revelation, it doesn't last long because you don't know why you were forgiven. You don't know why you did what you did in the first place. Maybe you feel bad and you're forgiven. And if you don't believe you're forgiven, then the forgiveness is only partially effective. But the thing is, if I don't, if I, if I don't know why I have sinned in the first place, and that's what this programming does, it causes us to be deceived. And that's why Jesus said, you need to know the truth. If you know the truth, you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set free. There's that need to continue in his word, which is truth, which is revelation, which puts all the pieces together, which creates the whole. This is not just a uh, one-dimensional thing. This is a many-dimensional relationship we have with God. And so when we are in that place of, of believing lies in, through the experiences, through the expectations, through the words, through the, the snake pit that we've come out of, we've been trained and taught and programmed to believe lies, then what the Word of God does is it comes to, like it says in Romans 12, 1 uh, and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the mind, all those lies have to be deleted, and in its place you put the truth, which means you're coming into an agreement with the truth now instead of the lie. Because all of the war between God and Satan is based on the will. Who's, who, who will you obey? Who will you believe? Whose report will you believe? And so the, the war between God and Satan is based on our will. What will we to do? What will we want to do? What will we choose to do? What will we, will we be deceived into doing? Or what will we step forth in faith to believe God for? Yeah, in, in uh, Romans 6, it talks about... Um whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether it was sin yep. uh, unto mm-hmm. death or... or uh, uh, I, I, righteousness, let me, yeah. Let me find it. It's Romans 6, and 26. Jesus, whom you yield yourselves servant to obey, slave you are. You know, right. it, Jesus says he who commits sin is the slave of sin. So, and yeah. that's the bottom line. Who will you believe? And a lot of times the enemy puts an objection in front of us. Like we, like say we're choosing, we're going to, we will to do something, but then in our mind comes a debate. Yeah, but what about, or if I do that, then what? Or, um, so there's a debate that begins to go on in your mind, in your emotions, in your soul, if you will, against the, the counsel of the Holy Spirit in your spirit. And so that's where we become, we get to that place where we have to choose. Sometimes it's blind faith. Sometimes it's just, you know, uh, a, a struggle, and we have to decide, am I going to believe God? Whose report am I going to believe? And if you don't think God is good, or you think somehow he's going to rip you off in the end, or he's mean or mad at you, or you still have to do something to make him happy, God is happy. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed with you, because for one thing, God couldn't possibly be disappointed with any of us, because that implies that you have to get something you didn't expect. You were expecting something and it didn't happen. So therefore you're disappointed. But God already knows everything about everything. So there's no way he can be disappointed and not know what you were going to do. And now he's disappointed because you didn't do what he thought you were going to do because he already knows everything. So there is no way that God can be disappointed with us. He already knows all the pitfalls, all the troubles, all the the tangles, the messes that Satan would set up to ensnare us. But God also knows how he's going to get us out of those messes if we will follow him yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah sin did not catch god by surprise he knows he knows on our own though we're created in his likeness and image we are a mess and and we we don't have a chance of doing enough good things to earn salvation keeping the law or some kind of religious rules will not bring us salvation it's interesting um 
the, the scripture I was uh, attempting to quote earlier, let me, I got it exactly here now, but Romans 6.16 and, and a couple of verses after that, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were, past tense there, right? That ye were servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. And it talks about, uh, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as, if, as you have yielded the members, your members or your parts of your body, as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield yourselves, uh, yield your members, the parts of your body, your being, servants to righteousness unto holiness. So th- there's, a, there's a transaction that takes place there. There's a choice that takes place there. And it's the power of God renewing us. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, it's a, it's a whole. This is what this process of discipleship. Jesus said, "Go mm-hmm. make disciples, yep. followers of all the nations." Part of that is be, be being deprogrammed mm-hmm. from the lies of the world, the lies of, about the concepts that we have about ourselves and about God. And then we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're reprogrammed with the truth, uh, the word of God uh, that sets us free. Right. And, you know, going back to that and, and kind of going forward, there's, there's still the questions of words God has said about himself. Uh, for example, in Isaiah 45, um, he says, I am the Lord. There's no other. I formed the light and created darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. And um, so he's talking, well, he said it himself that he creates calamity and takes away peace. And so you say, well, if God is saying that about himself, then he's saying that about himself. And what do I got to say about that? Well, um, in verse in, in Isaiah 30, he says, um, therefore, verse 12, 30, verse 12, he says, therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity and rely upon them. Therefore, the, the, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall, a bolt on a high wall, whose breaking comes suddenly as in an instant, and he shall break in like the breaking of a potter's vessel, which is broken in pieces. He will not spare. He's, going to, he's saying this potter's vessel is going to be so broken that you won't even be able to use a fragment of it to carry a piece of uh, fire or, or carry water. That's because the people have refused the love of the truth. And this is the critical piece God also knew that in the midst of our will and free will, his permissive will was going to have to permit calamity and permit um, devastation and judgment so that, uh, if you will, that we would not be um, lost for all eternity because some of these very destructive things actually are working together for good, to bring forth good things. So he's saying, yes, God is saying, I'm not going to blame the devil, but here's the deal. The calamity that's coming you have forced me to have to take position because you chose by your will to disobey, disregard my law, my word. You have put me in this very difficult position, just like, again, parents, sometimes put in a very difficult position. Some of you have been in where you had to, to let your child sit in jail and not bail them out, or you've had to see them go to prison, or you've had to see them, and sometimes I'm not saying they're justly sent there, please don't go there, but... 
But sometimes, um, you know, we have to let them go through these things. And it's not our perfect will. But in a way, you would have the power to, say, bail them out of jail. But you, you believe this is better that they stay there and think about this. And so these various types of calamities and, and destructions and, and difficult things, God is saying, uh, yeah, I did. I created the I am God. He says, uh, there's no one beside me. Let them know from the rising of the sun to the setting. There's none beside me. And just previous to that, in chapter 45 of Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah 30 and in 45, I'm sure you're getting a little lost. But anyway, um, in, in Isaiah 45, just talking about disappointments and, and knowing everything, this chapter is written to a guy named Cyrus. God is saying in chapter 45, verse 1, Thus says the Lord to his appointed, anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. I will cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name and the God of Israel. Now, he's talking to a guy named Cyrus. This is written um, many years before Cyrus is born. This is written by Isaiah. It's a prophecy. Isaiah didn't know Cyrus except for to write this that God told him to write. And when and Cyrus was the king of Persia. Now, when Cyrus was, he was the guy that was on the throne when it was time. If, I, if my dates and figures are all right, and if they're not, you can call me and let me know. But he was the guy who was on the throne when God said it's time to let the people go. Mm-hmm. So when Cyrus saw that God used his very name, called him, appointed him, chose him, told him what he was going to do, made him king over Persia and Babylon or wherever it was, and I think it was those were kind of synonymous back then, mm-hmm. that he, um, when Cyrus saw that God wrote about this hundreds of years before he was born, and actually Cyrus was, again, one of those people who there was a big coup or whatever, and they tried to kill him, and his nurse or whatever ran off and saved him and took him and, and hid him for years, and then grew up to be the king. I mean, God miraculously protected him because I think Satan also knew something was up with Cyrus and he was going to kill him before God got to use him, but God protected him. So when Cyrus saw that God was already talking about him before he was even born, he says, um, that you may know that I, the Lord who call you by name, am the God of Israel. So he was pretty impressed that this was the right God because in those days there was a zillion gods out there. And, and so when Cyrus knew this God knew him by name, he was impressed enough to let God's people go and so you see, God's not disappointed because God already knows the beginning from the end, and here's proof of it right here. You know, he knows all of us by name. Yeah, and the thing is, too, about God, sometimes people look at the Old Testament and they say, oh, God is such a God of wrath and, 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 and um, you know. Murder, bloodshed, violence, sacrifices, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, right. blah. right, all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, too, it, that's only looking at the surface of this. When you look at, there were, for example, let's let's take Noah for example. Okay, the Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years. God preached through him, ministered through him, year after year after year, and in, even if you read in Isaiah, Marjorie and mm-hmm. Jeremiah, uh, prophets that wrote and warned Israel, "Come back to me. You're destroying yourself by rejecting your God." God saw as the as the as a good father, he saw the way where they were going was going to destroy themselves and their posterity, and so 
Mm-hmm. He, there was warning after warning after warning after warning before the judgment came. Well, we have to realize that God really is dealing with evil and destruction on two fronts. One of those fronts is inside of us where the enemy, the body of death operating software, the devil's programmed us to turn against God and rebel individually to, to believe lies, to choose lies and destruction, and therefore put God in that very difficult place again, as many parents have been with their own children. Uh, the second place where, the, where God works on a war front is in the heavenlies with the actual the, 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 the fallen angels, the beings, the demons, the devils, the whatever, um, God at war in the cosmos, in the, in the cosmic. We see there like the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, who uh, withstood the messenger angels who were getting down to Daniel to give him the prophetic words of the end time. And so in the story of like a lot of these stories, we're, we're um, on ground level. But we don't see what's going on in the heavenlies. And, and in, in the ground level, we see um, that, you know, the people were rebelling. In, in Noah's day, they were worshiping other gods. They were heathens. They're, they hadn't been given the law yet. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. Um, they weren't necessarily specifically breaking Ten Commandments, but they're breaking the laws of your own conscience about God and worshiping God. And, of course, they came from the descendants of you know, people lived a long time back then, and they had Abraham still almost on the scene. He was almost on the scene. Um, he had passed away a, a little before Noah came along. But the thing is, these guys, they lived a long time, so they were passing the word on. But there were others who had gone astray already, like I don't know if they came from uh, Cain's line or what they did, where they came from. But they, the demons, the angels, were already working to cross kinds. They had already... Uh, uh, had uh, human contact and had created the um, transhumans or the Nephilim, uh, half human, half demon. Th- these things were bigger elements than one individual person. This was the d- the devil himself turning God's world upside down and trying to create a fitful habitation for himself. And so when we see God doing things like the flood, it seems very cruel, crazy, bloody, you know, whatever. It's really a very... Um, necessary and and uh, well-intended act because if he wouldn't have destroyed those things that were eating the people and creating more demons this world would have been totally destroyed and the promise of the savior would not have come and all of the people would have been lost even those people and as a matter of fact those people who were people back then who may have died in the flood and i don't know you know it says there were basically none left except noah who was righteous in his generations that God was working to keep the promise he made to Adam and Eve to bring forth the Savior. So I, I really think it's important for us to see that this whole thing that looks so everyday, ordinary, boring, difficult, full of troubles, full of frustrations, full of unanswered prayer, full of um, you know news reports that get worse and worse, as we go through this, we have to get a bigger picture of what is going on here and have to understand that God's word from beginning to end from Genesis to Revelations is being fulfilled. Whether we believe it or not, you can choose. You don't have to believe it. You can listen to the, the God of this world who has blinded the eyes, blinded the minds, thrown a veil over the heads of the people. You can do that. Or you can cry out to God and walk in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as you walk in the revelation of Jesus Christ, you get more and more revelation of him. He, you know, as you begin to be thankful, instead of murmuring um, and, and complaining and grumbling and, and saying, I, you know, I don't get this and where is God? And listen, ask yourself, who's saying that? 
Is that the Holy Spirit inside of you asking that question? Where's God? Why me, God? I don't get it, God. Is there anything in your world, in your world today, that you can be thankful for, that you can just thank God? Thank God for what you have or thank God for what you don't have. You know, maybe you're not like those people over in Ecuador right now, probably uh, dying underneath a, a, a pile of rubble and, and, and waiting for a rescue. God have mercy on them. It's like, isn't there something, can't you be thankful you're not there? Isn't there so many little things we can stop murmuring because murmuring actually is like putting fuel on the devil's fire. And it just, it just heaps that thing and gets it hotter and hotter until, you know, like we have little sayings like um, um, when it, when it rains, it pours, for example, or just waiting for the other shoe to fall. You're, you're like, you're like looking for, or okaying, permitting the next set of problems to come. And, you know, you can say, no, you can say, no, I won't. I don't agree. Stop. See, God said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so, so we, a lot of times we say, God, please, you know, do this, do that, do this. And God says back to you, but I gave you the power. Use the power and I'll enforce it. Just bind, loose, forgive, get out there. And you know how many people do that? How many people say, I forbid this? No, you won't. You know, how many people take your case to court and say, God, here's my case. Jesus is my advocate. The devil's the adversary. He's the accuser. Lord God, I'm under the blood of Jesus. Satan doesn't ever depress his charge against me. Yes, I did sin like Eve. Yes, I did. I was deceived. God, I ask you to forgive me. I was tricked. I bought into a lie. Forgive me. I confess my sin. I repent. I turn from it. I realize that you are right. The devil is a liar. Now forgive me. What's God going to do with that? Is he going to say, too bad for you? I'm throwing you in jail for 20 days? What you're talking about there is being what I would call spiritually proactive. And that's how God has called us to operate in this world. Rather than too often we're just laid back and say, well, it is what it is. Yeah. And we complain and we moan. And, and uh, you know, Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Well, I, I don't know if it's being proactive or, or active and, and urgent and immediate because a lot of times people just let their stuff go until it gets worse and worse and worse. And then they start to blit because it's now on a roll. You know, one bad thing bequeaths another bad thing. That's a word I don't even know. But we just, you know, we let it go and roll. But it, it's in yes. But if I, if I understand the concepts of legality and war and right. court. Operating and, in the authority that God has right. given us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think, well, I, I can't do that. Well, yeah, Jesus said to do it. You know, behold, I give you uh, power over serpents what? and scorpions and over mm-hmm. all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any right. means hurt you. Right. So, uh, whatever so don't you, get caught in false you humility. on earth shall be bound in heaven. Yeah. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in mm-hmm. heaven. And a lot of people say, oh, this binding and loosing stuff, that's, that's, that's not for today. Well, yeah. We can't do that. Well, well, that, well, what does God say about it? And well, so, so we're in that place. We have that authority. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, there's powerful authority. We're not just uh, being, um, taking these things upon ourselves. We're, we're, we're simply being obedient, being obedient mm-hmm. to what the Lord has showed us to do. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. He says, therefore, go. And says, you know, go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, mm-hmm. um, preach the gospel, preach the kingdom. Freely you have received, freely give. 
that's our marching orders. Right. And so, so, but rather we seem to live as victor, victims, victims. Yeah. rather than victors that we are. Mm-hmm. So it's and time soldiers. for us to just to get off our butts and realize that, hey, Lord, well, you've get, we're not just throwing our weight around. It's not a matter of naming it and claiming it and, and, and ordering God around. It's simply a matter of just operating in, in obedience. obedience to the, mm-hmm. the lifestyle that he has called us to. Well, and I think part of that, too, is, um, you know, going back to, first of all, you know, these things are not for today. Well, if these things are not for today, is salvation for today? I mean, that's one of those things, right? right? How do we know that that one's gone away also? I mean, and, and till the end of the age, God said this word would be would stand in be true. How dare we? say, well, those things were just for the apostles or just for them. That's ridiculous. We need them just as much now as they did back then. Secondly, this is not about me. This is not about false humility. This is not about, um, you know, trying to usurp God's authority or something. This is about um, me doing what God says to do as a soldier of the, of the Most High. This is about God. This is about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is not about, you know, Oh, I don't have a right to do this. Who do I think I am? I'm just, you know, you know, uh, being presumptuous here. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just a humble worm of the dust sort of thing. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a false humility, and it's really it's a cop out. Yeah. Um. So. Well, and again, it like I said, it is a false humility. Like, oh, I'm a worm, and who am I? You know, it's not about you. Once you let the Holy Spirit start manifesting, living directing your life really because you're not your own anyway you're if you really realized that when you got saved you also died you were dead you were a dead man you were a dead man walking before that because you know what the devil had you he had a right to you and he was going to throw you into hell and the only way you got your ticket out of hell was to take the 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 free gift of eternal life through jesus christ by accepting him as your lord and your savior and you know and you say well i don't know if that's the truth because there's so many other options out there and there's so many you're right there's a lot of garbage out there's a lot of options I mean, about 100, almost 90% of probably what we hear about any one thing, whether it's a product or an event or a situation, is somebody's opinion about it, and it's a lie or a part of a lie. But this thing is the Word of God, and you, you have to make one decision in this world before you can make any other decision, and that is, do I believe the Word of God? Does, not only is God good, but does God lie? I think that's a basic question. Does God lie? God lies. His book is full of lies, or even if you told one lie, then which lie is it? Then if I don't know which lie it is, then it could, any of those verses could be the lie. So therefore, the whole book is contaminated and worthless because I don't know what the lie would be. So again, I believe it's, it's all about whose report are you going to believe. It's all about are you going to believe what God said about this world, or are you going to believe what the devil makes of it? And the devil paints a picture because you're looking too small. You're looking right around your world, your life, you're this, you're that. And as long as you're fine, everything's fine. And you don't have to, you know, get too excited about God, eternity, the end of the world. But you think. But when it starts to get intense, really, this world is going to turn upside down. How many earthquakes have we just had in the last four or five days? None here. That yeah, That's good. But, I mean, it's like, what is going to happen when we have... What Jesus said in Matthew 24, we're going to have people all over the place wanting to um, to know what God is doing. Oh, I, I guess we have a call. We have a call. Yes. Hello? Hello? Hello. 
This is Sue Thomas, and I just had a question. Um, I think more so from the perspective of Calvinism, Mm -hmm. um, of people that I hear, they say um, that the authority was only given to the disciples, and I was just looking for a scriptural response to that. Okay. Well, what is their scripture that they use? Do you know? Um, No. Well, I, I just think they're making an assumption because um, Jesus, well, when Jesus, I'm just off the top of my head here, in John, um, where he prayed, he says, I do not pray for these only, but for those who will come after them. So he was talking in the context of, guys, I've given you your marching orders, and here I'm adding and including those who are going to come after you. So that is one of the, um, um, let's see, it's verse 9, it's John. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, um, and yours are, uh, and I will glorify them, glorified in them. Uh, let's see. And where is the one he says about us? Um, uh, let's see. It's right around in there, I'm sure. <laughs> Can you see that? Uh, oh, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. Out of the world, they are yours, and you have given them to me, and they, your word. You know, there's an interesting thing um, that Jesus never retracted any of this stuff. There's no scripture. I know that. There's no scripture that says this is only for now. There is none. He says to the end of the world. And Jesus, in, in, in uh, end of Mark, he said, go into all the world, make disciples. He didn't put an end date on that. Um, right, and some people believe that when the New Testament scriptures were completed, that we don't need any of these gifts of the Spirit anymore. You know, which is totally false. I don't know. They just pull. That seemed like something that's just pulled out of thin air. Uh, because why we, wouldn't we, we want have these the gifts? Word. It's like we don't need the Holy Spirit now because we have the Word. Well, why did Jesus pour out the Spirit? That sounds of God? like a complete contradiction of what God has set up to do exactly. from the very beginning. Why would he withdraw the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit or the miracles and all and, and the power, the authority? Why would he withdraw that? Wouldn't that sound more like something the enemy would come up with to try to get us to believe so that we can shut down? Well, well the Lord, he, he said, um, oh, my. Uh, he said, you know, Margie referred to this, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So that didn't say, okay, now, okay, now the apostles, when you guys die, this is all over. No, Mm -hmm. this is is the marching orders for the church, for his people. And he said in um, uh, John chapter 20, uh, verse 21, he said, um, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Jesus was sent, you know, uh, in obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Uh, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And then in Acts chapter 2, um as far as the, the activity of the Holy Spirit, um, let's see here, just a second. Well, while he's um, finding that one, let me read back where I was looking for in uh, John chapter 17. He says in verse 20, I do not pray for those, these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, he's, he's talking about, he's talking about the, all the way through to the end. They'll, they'll believe, they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. He wasn't starting, this makes no sense, to start a ministry like this so intensely, you've got the, the miracles, you've got the martyrdoms, you've got the whole nine yards, and then boom, now it's done. Now it's over. Right. It's just ridiculous. Now, it's just ridiculous to say that in the last days, the most intense, demanding, evil mm-hmm. days of the world pour being poured out, then the God is going to say, Okay, but I'm pulling the plug on the on, on you believers. I'm pulling the plug of the Holy Ghost. I'm mm-hmm. pulling the plug on your power when you need it the most. That is it's just a ridiculous concept. And then uh Acts chapter um two Verse 37, when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, uh, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, okay, for the promise. What, what is the promise? The remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, mm-hmm. even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So is God still calling people? Yes. Well, then forgiveness of sins, remission of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is still here for um, for all that uh, who who call upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if you go into the Book of Revelation, you'll see some of the same kind of um, mandates. Uh, he says, like for example, um, in uh, chapter twelve, verse eleven, and they. Now we know Revelation says, unless you believe it's already passed. It's yet to come, and if it's yet to come, then the in, the mandates, the uh, indications of what God wants for His people are still active all the way through from Acts to Revelations. He says, in verse uh, chapter twelve, verse eleven, he says, "And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them." Now, he's saying they're still giving their testimony; they're overcoming by the same blood that brought salvation. By the same word of their testimony, which, you know, means, you know, God says, you know, believe and you shall be saved. Uh, Whatsoever you bind, whatsoever you loose. He's saying these same things are active all the way through to the end. And if you, I think one of the problems with the Calvinist really is the Calvinist is a very clever, it's almost to me, in my, in my opinion, it is on the same level as the theory of evolution. It's a theory of Calvinism. It's a lot of the reform stuff. They really, their one big problem is that they don't put the devil in the equation. And if you don't put the devil in the equation, you can't explain anything. Um, you can't explain, you can't explain a lot of things. You can't explain why, uh, you know, God is uh, doing the things he's doing. You can't, they, it all makes God look crazy. It makes him look insane. And Calvinists, you know, there's no need. God is sovereign. He did it. He saved us. It wasn't a whosoever will kind of thing. It was, okay, 
you know. Some are ordained to eternal yeah. life, some are not. And God is he, sovereign. He picks not, who he wants to pick. Not much you can do about it either way. Well, if he picks only those that he's going to save and he makes everybody, then God technically is making people, little babies that he's, he's fashioning, forming, putting in the womb that he's going to throw into hell. What kind of a God is that? That is not the God of the Bible. That, that gives you a concept of God that is not in line with the Holy Scriptures. And therefore, that is a theory. That is a doctrine. It's, it's uh, crafted in hell as far as I'm concerned because you don't have, you don't have any need then to bring uh, missionary efforts. You, you know, if you're saved, you can do whatever you want There's, you know, because you're saved and you're okay. No matter, you can sin if you want because you're saved. Because God saved you because he's sovereign. And that's, it, it, it's so contrary to the word that it's almost shocking that so many people have, don't know enough about the word to uh, to look at it. And, you know, you, it makes God out to be depraved. And it takes away the idea that we are made in the image of God. But, you see, if they would put the devil in the equation, they could explain the bad behavior of man, the depravity of man, based on the, um, the, 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 the body of death operating software that Paul talks about. Inside, he says, I'm, I, he said, it is the sin that dwells in me. He says, I'm doing things I don't want to do, the things I want to do I don't do. He said, it is the sin that dwells in me. He's saved in Romans 6. He is talking about saved. He is saved in Romans 7. He's still talking about sinning. And so they can't explain the sinning thing. And Paul, uh, uh, God, First uh, John, John tells the believers, he says, you know, he saw, he's writing to the believers, he says, and, and they're saved, of course, if they're believers, they're saved. And he says, when you sin, he says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful just to forgive your sin. He says, and don't say you haven't sinned and call God a liar. That's all in chapter 1 of 1 John. So he is saying, we were, are still going to sin. Why do we sin? Why do we make bad choices? Because we wanted to make bad choices? Where did that idea of wanting to make a bad choice come from if I am created in the image of God and love the truth? It has to come from an indoctrination. It has to come from a program. It says, you know, I told you guys last week that sinner, the word sinner, is an adjective. It's not a noun. That means God uses the word sinner to describe people who are caught doing sins or do sins. It, doesn't, it describes a behavior. It doesn't describe a being. I am, a, I, you know, I'm, let's just say I'm the daughter of the president. I can be, I can be a sinner or I can be a, 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 philanthrop- a, a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm, that doesn't change who I am. I'm the daughter of the president. My sinning doesn't change the fact that I'm the daughter of the president. Same with us. We're daughters, sons of the most high God. And so God wants us to make the distinction between being and behavior. But again, they can't explain any of that stuff. So they have to, they don't put the devil in the equation. That's their bottom line. And, and they have to take out, of course, it does great advantage to the devil to confuse people about binding and loosing. And, and Susan, you know that. You don't see, I'm sure, even if you look around a little, you don't see hardly any believers being very confident in knowing that they know what they know. They're all tiptoeing around, and I think, I hope, and I feel, and maybe, and if it's God's will. You know, Jesus, there's a big question even about healing. You know, is divine healing for today? Uh, is it God's will that we be healed? Uh, well, then they die. Well, it must be God's will they died. Whatever. Well, God didn't answer my prayer because they died. You know what? Jesus came down here. He prayed for people who are demon-possessed, people who are sick and crippled and this and that, and they were all healed. He, he didn't have any questions about their character, their, uh, their church attendance, their denomination, whatever. He just healed them all. He just healed them all. And he could because 
he knew the will of the Father, and that was the will of the Father. He was doing the will. Of, he wasn't acting outside of the will of God. So God is good. God wants them all healed, and obviously the devil wants us to be confused because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, and he cannot expect to receive what he wants. So that's where the devil keeps us in that mind, a soul position of uh, I, your mind can't know anything for sure because it can only think technically. But your spirit, in your spirit, you can know that you know what you know. And so we need to know that. We can know what we know in order to have authority over the devil and say no to him. And this is where we don't see many believers. Is that correct? Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Would Luke um, chapter 10, verse 17 be a support for that, where it says the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, mm-hmm. even the demons submit to us in your name? Because wouldn't that yes. say that, that those were not apostles? That's exactly right, too. And, of course, the and you know, that people would say, well, they were just for then, and they, they, it all died out with them. But that's, but that seventy-two is exactly right. It wasn't just apostles. Uh, the and I'm telling you, uh, the fruit. G, bottom line, bottom line on any theology or theory or uh, you know book you read, um, check out the fruit. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Reduce whatever's going on, whatever's being said, whatever's being practiced or preached. Reduce it down. To does it does it bring forth peace and joy, love, acceptance, forgiveness, or does it create stress, worry, workaholism, striving, perfection, anxiety? I cannot live my life for God with an anxiety in my heart about God. I have to know that God is good, God is for me, God is with me, and that all these things that I got to go through today or tomorrow or whenever. They're not even my problem. They're God's problem because I have taken the position of a servant. I'm a servant. And as a servant or a steward, you know that the master is responsible to get you what you need to do what he told you to do today. And if he doesn't give you what you need to do, you do the best you can. And it's not your fault. It's not your problem. So God is good. God supplies. He gave us the power and the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and overall the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt us. But we don't see a whole lot of people doing that. And here's another problem. Even in doing that, you have to deal with the other person's will, the other person's mindsets. The other person may be locked into a bunch of programming. They may, may be locked in at very various levels of programming. Uh, it could be a blocking, blanking spirit where they don't see or think or remember. Or it could be a, a stupor that they don't even realize um, you know, that there needs to be something done or said. Um, it, at that level, the, the word could be snatched out of their mind. Like Jesus talked about the snatcher, Satan comes to snatch the word. That could be that. Um, it, there's a lot of different levels that the devil can program and hold people captive um, in, their, in the spiritual bondages. And, of course, then you have all kinds of people who are addicted to whatever. And the basic story behind addiction is people are trying to quit what they cannot stop. So Paul said it in Romans 7, 20, he says, they are doing, I, he says, he says, if I am doing what I do not want to do, it is not me doing it. It is the sin that dwells in me, Paul, in me, a sinner, a a saved saint with a sin that still dwells and controls him in a certain element or area of his, of his life, whether it's an addiction or a substance or whatever it is we are addicted to, that thing is controlling you. And, And then you think that you're going to willpower that away. You're going to use a, a, sn- a snappy little program and, and beat the devil? No, you're going to only beat the devil 
when you get a revelation of the truth, and the truth for everybody is, hey, I wasn't built to do that in the first place. I don't want to do that. That's not me doing that thing that's doing that's not me, and that thing that's doing that is trespassing in me, and it needs to leave me. And that's where you begin to break this thing down and take the sword of God's word and command that thing to leave. Because we do have weapons. One of the weapons that we have is the name of Jesus. Demons hate that. They hate the name of Jesus. They hate if you use that name and you know what you're saying. They get scared because now they can't fool you anymore because they are fooling you to not deal with that, whatever it was, because they're intimidating you by telling you you don't know what you're talking about. Second of all is the sword of God's word, which it says is able to separate even to the dividing of bone and marrow, thought and intention, soul and spirit. And the demons know the sword and they know what it's able to do. And it says they, they fear and tremble. So when you use the sword, they have to listen. And when you know that they have to listen and you know that you know the name of Jesus, the power of God, who Jesus is, the sword of God's word, the blood of the lamb is another one. You know, um, the, the, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You know, the blood of Jesus. Another one that's very powerful is simply to um, quote the word of God to them in a specific way or place, if you can. Um, it is written like Jesus uh, tempted by the devil. And then finally, if the devil doesn't listen to you, you just turn it up to God and say, God, you know what? You told me to do all this stuff. I did all this stuff. The devil's not listening to me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to worship you and you take care of it. Mm-hmm. There it is. And that's the final that's the final big weapon is it's it's not being so intelligent and clever. It's just surrendering again to God. Say, God, at another level I'm surrendering to you. This thing isn't going. And you know, the other thing is the other person has to it's not mind over matter. The other person has to have a revelation uh, uh to also agree to cancel out the lies because that's why the thing isn't budging, because they have been the demons have been given permission in that other person consciously unconsciously, subconsciously, through a passive agreement, through implied consent, through actions, through vows, through programming. They have been uh, given an agreement that they're holding on to that they take to the high court of heaven and say, God, I have a right to be there because they're agreeing, because they believe this, they believe this, da-da-da-da, and they're listening to me, and so I have a right to continue to bring this control, this consequence, this judgment upon them. And so when you're dealing with people, a lot of times the first thing that has to happen is you have to really start with the truth, not so much the, the, the problem, but the retraining of them so that they can have the, the mindset that they need to know that they can be free. So un- unfortunately, that when you're praying with a lot of sick people and whatnot, Jesus had full, complete, 100% success because, of, I believe, of one thing. Um, well, you say, well, he's the son of God. Yes, it's exactly right. He was the son of God. And when the demons saw him and they were punishing someone and they gripped them and Jesus didn't take a ton of time to talk to them about, you know, counsel them about the truth and whatever. They saw it and they got the revelation in their heart somehow from that, from him. But it was happening. I believe the the demons, Jesus said, give me that, give me that illness. Give me that infirmity. Give me that, that sickness. Give me that, uh, that leprosy. Give it to me. Give it to me now. He was basically saying, I'm taking that because I'm going to pay for that in, a, in about, you know, 12 minutes here, whatever, in two days, two weeks, whatever it was. I'm paying for that. I bought that. I'll take that. I'll buy that. So he was taking all he did by his stripes were healed. He took upon himself the infirmities of the whole world. And so he'd say to the devil, you give me that. I mean, it's not written that way. I'm not. But I'm just saying that that was what the demons knew. They had no more right to hold on to this person because that person was being bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Jesus was buying them buying back their sickness through his, you know, through his death and his scourging and his resurrection. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's kind of how I see it. 
Um, but with us humans, it's kind of like we're up against other people's wills and their programming, their indoctrination. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's not a matter of uh, human willpower. It's a matter of our will and his power. It's mm-hmm. a matter of his, his yeah. power. Well, I I just want to encourage you, Susan, to um, to know that you have got the power of God. And when you ask these questions, this is for everybody, when you ask these kinds of questions about if God is so good, then why? And why doesn't this make sense? And is the devil still active today? And when you start to ask these questions, ask the Holy Spirit who is in you to show you to lead you into all truth through the word, through the revelation. Not may, maybe he'll lead you to someone else's book or something, but mostly he'll lead you in the word to show you what makes sense and how it works because it's got to make sense. This isn't a senseless world. God is a reasonable God. It says the curse without a cause does not come. There's got to be a reason for what's going on. And so God is re- He's not chaotic. He's not an accident. He's not a coincidence. He's not fate. He is very, there is a very ordered world. God is not a God of chaos. That all this stuff has a reason and it all makes sense. And you have to put it all in the context of God's world, what God sees. And that part of that is the very diabolical war that goes on for the souls of humans right now. So, uh, for all of us, go back to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You say, well, I don't know if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. Well, then ask yourself the thought that comes to your mind, the thought that comes to your mind, whatever it is that you might think is from God, you might not know if it's from God, reduce it down and say, does this bring me peace? Does this bring me um, rest? Does this bring me um, joy? Does this bring me um, or does it just bring me stress and worry? A lot of times, one more thing, I know we have to run, but one more thing, that, that a lot of times when people do ask the Holy Spirit for things, um, they are listening to a religious spirit that's answering them. And so you have to ask yourself, if, if you're hearing what you think is the Holy Spirit or God say to you that you need to trust God or you need to believe God, and you already do believe God and you do trust God and you and the, the enemy is trying to get you to believe you don't trust him enough or you need to trust him more. Then you say to yourself, OK, God, you know my heart. You know how much I do trust you. You know where I don't trust you. You know what needs to be done. I trust you that you are going to take care of me and you know everything. So why would you be saying to me, I need to trust more if that's that's your job, not mine? Holy Spirit, if I need to trust Jesus more, that's your job, to get me to trust him more, to work me, to lead me into that place. Then you say, okay, who says I need to trust God more? Because that reduces down to stress. That reduces down to what do I have to do? How do I do this? Do I need to do more fasting, more what, more this? more? And that all becomes work again. And so my sanctification, my instruction, my whatever it is God wants, I'm the vessel, God is the potter, whatever he wants to do with this vessel, he has to do it. He, if, he, if I need more of this, more glaze, I need more, uh, you know, shaping, I need more uh, firing in the kiln, whatever. God is potter, and I am the vessel, so I'm his problem. And I, you know, I'm just following him. If I need more of this or more of that, then yes, Lord, get me more of this, more of that, whatever you got in your mind for me. But I'm not going to take my instruction from a false Jesus or a religious spirit that's trying to make me feel 
agitated and, and pushed me back into doing it myself again. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm talking pretty fast, but does that make sense? <laughs> okay. Well, listen. All right. So um, let's just wrap this show up today with a little bit of um, uh, just, do you have one more scripture, Jay? Yeah, I just wanted to read this just to kind of summarize here. Um, in Psalm 145, um, verses um, 8 through 13, um, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of thy of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Amen. So well, that the, summarizes the it is, well. The Lord is is good to all, and uh, may by, loves all of may us. May we just uh, know that, see that, and know that in our mm-hmm. hearts every day that God is good. good. Amen. One more thing, if you're if you're going to see us this weekend, the 23rd of April, Saturday the 23rd, at, in Elk River at the Holiday Inn, we're going to be having our conference rescued, restored, and redeemed. Uh, it's from 10 to 3. It's free, open to the public. Um, that's, again, the Holiday Inn in um, Elk River, Otsego. And bring your friends. Uh, you can register online. That's helpful. Um, so we'll see you then. And in the meantime, you just rest in the Lord, read the word, please do that before you read any of these other things that you might be reading. First, the word, always first, the word and get your um, revelations from Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, through his word. God, we pray, Father God, we thank, thank you that you are good, that you're good all the time, that you care about us even when we're mad at you, when we don't understand you, when we're frustrated, when we believe lies, you still care about us. You are so able to deliver us from the snare of the fowler. So we thank you for as Jesus prayed, deliver us from temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And Father, we ask now for a divine protection this week, because this is Passion Week, and we know how the devil fusses on this week, so keep everyone under a special care, Lord Jesus, those who the devil would be setting up to sacrifice, Lord God, in one or way or another. We pray that you defend them, deliver them, that the angels of God would rescue them, that their blood would not be shed. Um, as the false sacrifices Satan would require. And so, Father, we ask you now for peace and for to, to keep us alert and hungry for your word. Amen. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? 